Welcome to Authors in Chains, by writers, for writers. Hosted by J.R. Ryu, Ray Burton, Robert Davies, and Ray Bailey. Welcome back to Authors in Chains. Today we're going to be talking about effective world building. How to create a richer environment to make your stories more believable and give them more depth. The more detailed your world is, the more believable your story is going to be in that world. Um, I mean, honestly, sociopolitical, religion, financial, maps, there's a lot of things we can do to build a world. So uh, some of the things I do, because I just started doing this, was uh, to build a world is started off with a map. I laid out the area that I was writing about because I needed to understand where it fell and what areas were around it. And then who rules it? How do they rule it? What's their... What's their political leadership like? What kind of sociological leadership? It is a monarchy. Is it a, a warlord system? Um, and then it's religion. What do they specialize yeah. in? Are they artistic? Are they craftsmen? How do they make money? Who has the biggest army? You know, I mean, these are all things. What, what is their relationship to their neighbor? All things you can write down ahead of time. It doesn't take a whole lot of time, but it affects your character's and some of their actions as they go through this world, because now you've started to put it together. You started to set it. I mean, I, I had an entire conversation two nights ago where not only setting up the world, but also why the world existed. How did it get there? You know, what happened to create the world? Because these are all questions you want to answer, because not only when you build a world, the world itself can be part of your story, but it can also be its own story underneath the main plot. Because what you're doing is telling a story within a world. But the world itself can unravel as its own story, as I've seen it done in books like Treason or um, Ender's Game or, uh, or The Worthing Saga. These are great areas that where the world itself is part of the story and kind of unfolds as the characters you know, pr progress throughout the book. So these are some neat things I like to talk about. What do you guys like to do when you create your books and start looking at the world. I mean, you use existing worlds. Do you actually augment them? What's your experience with it? Mine are sci-fi, mostly space operas. So I have to create. But as we all know, and have mentioned before, screw around with the fiction all you want, but you better not fuck up the science. Excuse me. No, so right. that means that so that means in the science fiction realm you get to do a lot you can go crazy with it but you have to stay within a particular a, a, a border of believability of authenticity that's not so easy to do in sci-fi in fantasy which I have just delved with for the first time in my new book and that is even shady to call it fantasy. It really isn't. It's a it's a it's a identifiable current day. Anyone can go their real place. In a in a fantasy realm, I wondered about this. A Tolkien GOT something some weird shit that Anne McCaffrey would come up with. The dragons and trolls and people are pounding down shrooms. In those Sweet. places, it sounds so closely related to our interpretation of, of a medieval world, variations on a theme. And I found that, well, how do you create a fantasy world that is not in that uh, Iron Age to Bronze Age trope? How do you get a more modern fantasy world 
or something that's even prehistoric, clan of the cave bear, some weird thing like that. It always so much of it is rooted in the bows and arrows and spears and, and horses and how do you do a fantasy world that is not connected to it at all or doesn't bleed pathetically over into science fiction? There's a benefit to reading history because in researching for one of my fantasy books, and it's in the back, it's going to be a little while because it's going to be a lot of writing. I started off with I wanted some things to be modern, but some things to be more primitive because I didn't want weapons of mass destruction. I didn't want guns. I didn't want bombs. I didn't want explosives, but I wanted some of the modern comforts. So what I did was create a society that had started out with some of the basic tools because they were created by another race and they were given these basic tools to start off with. And some of those things that the people that created them taught them were things like plumbing and sewage and making beds and making material and how to sew and all of these things so that they could have some of the amenities but still work for them and appreciate them and not have the really severe ability to just blow each other the hell up like we do. Not a pre-technology society, but one that is not reliant on technology. Is that exactly. what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. They have... See, the Minoans actually were one of the first big civilizations in the region... Um, the Mediterranean, right? No, in Europe. Anyway, they had indoor plumbing. They had hot and cold water. They had indoor sewage where people could use a toilet. It's a primitive version of it, but it is a toilet. And it would leave their house and go through the sewage. And they had all this stuff, but they still only had swords and bows and that kind of thing to work with. So they couldn't, you know, destroy each other on that kind of level. And the Romans also had a great many of these things, not as extensive as the Minoans did. And we found evidence of this in other cultures that have long since been wiped out that were far advanced for their time and had a lot of these what we consider modern amenities. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right about that. But, I mean, two different world types, um, fantasy versus sci-fi, because Robert brought up a very good point. Sci-fi is a little more involved because not only usually are you creating a civilization, but you're also creating a planet. And that becomes a little more involved. Um, in the Shadow Chronicles, I had the same problem, where they would land on multiple planets, which means multiple atmospheres, multiple um, geology, what... What races is, uh, is, is, you know, uh, developed there? What races have visited there? What level are they at of space travel? You know, what kind of technology do they have? What does the world smell like? I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can do to make your world more real. And in science fiction, you tend to do planet, you know, per planet, which means new species, new geography, new geology, um, new ways to make money. And then you have to interconnect these. 
you know, how are they trading? What what race does the trading? Does one race have ships? Another race has gold? Do they pay for their trading? You know, there's all kinds of things you can do to immerse yourself further into this society. Civilization um, building is what it what it grows to. Exactly. See, you turn into universal civilization building. Well, see, for me, the difference between fantasy and sci-fi is that one is using more scientific and more worlds. I have to build the entire planet, and I have to know the history of this entire planet. <coughs> when was the last Ice Age? Where were civilizations that are no longer? Where are they divided by geologically? All the, all the same things you guys have to consider when you're building the many worlds that you use versus my using one. And there's something else that Robert actually covered that was interesting because he mentioned the new book he's doing being fantasy-based and using a medieval world. I'm doing the same thing. And for some reason with fantasy, we always seem to default to medieval. I mean, whereas my medieval is 5,000 years in the future, I had to figure out how that happened. How did an advanced society end up back in the Middle Ages? And it was an interesting flow, and it's almost like another story under the story. Um, which is kind of neat, but I now, find, yep, yeah, go ahead. That's the, so my current title is a uh, second rise of humanity. Something bad happened to us. And I don't go into any detail cause I don't care. The point of the matter is, is that this, uh, humanity after a near extinction event has risen Phoenix like on the rubble and has reached an, a, a second technology age, very advanced, but the that subset, that substory that I cheapskated is in world building a, a very much part of what JR was talking about. She has to contend with very elaborate and drawn histories that go back. We we see this in three or four different really hard uh, high-end classics that you have to have so much detail historically, uh, culturally, the way these things intertwine and become a tree of, uh, of this, these interconnected families, people, places, cultures, traditions. That's a heck of a lot to keep track of. And I didn't. I just said, I don't care how we got screwed we did, and here's this second rise of humanity doing what they do. But a, a fantasy world does not, and here's what the point I was trying to make before and did badly, is that our conception of medieval means that was as far as our people had progressed in that moment. And it becomes charming right. from, a, from a traditional fantasy perspective because it evokes princes and princesses and dragons and all kinds of stuff that it's very much contrived in our understanding of medieval. But the level of technology in a different place across the galaxy, why could it not have come to that point? It could. How would you give that different treatment to keep it from looking Earth-like medieval that's i've always wondered about this if i was ever going to go into this it's the level of technology jr had an interesting thing look this is not uh, a, a pre-technology society it's a society that either by those who gifted them or they throttled it back on their own they are at a, a fixed point in technology 
yes, they have it, but it's not their reason for existence. They're not dead without it the way we are today. That is right. interesting to me. Well, I mean, that's and that's one of the interesting things that happens is we tend to, uh, depending on, you know, how we write it, how in, oh, I want to ask a question. How involved do you get when building the world before you get to the story? I know I have documents on maps and, and religion and demographics, but some people don't get that far. You were just saying there's a lot about the world you don't cover. See, when I, I found this tool that um, it's, it's an app that you can get on like your Android device. I, I don't know if it's for iPhone because I don't like Apple. So uh, it's called World Scribe. And it lets you list every important character, even those that you may not use. Because as you're building the world, you want to build your, your regions. What are the states? What are the provinces? Uh, what are the cities? And it lets you do all this detail. So you can literally lay out everything from your religion to your ruling classes and all of the important rulers, all of the priests or whatever that may need to be brought up at some point. And it was, I, I just, I, I wish I could find something else like it because I'm not on Android anymore. But Here's a question that, it, uh, and I'm asking speculatively because I either make up everything to suit in a science fiction novel, this new book is really an adventure story with a paranormal edge. It's not really fantasy at all. It's modern okay. day. But Ray Burr goes down a arguably military path in, in a lot of the stuff that he writes. If he contrives, uh, by necessity, a, a governmental structure, something that isn't real here today but is plausible, that is world-building. His mm -hmm. commando yeah. guy, his hero guy, he does what he does. It's, it's, he can call the place Upper Gonorrhea if he wishes, but the point is, it's, it is it, he has to world-build. He has to create... Whether it's recognizable to us or not is beside the point. He has to do that when he writes speculative military fiction. Is that a yes or a no? Is am I on target? Or am I, because I'm asked. Okay, so my take on it. That's what you're asking. Yeah. Okay. Um, when I started writing with the military tint, I started basing all my stuff off of battles that my regiment had been in. So I went back to Korea and like Cyprus and all that sort of stuff. And I started writing it. And so dirt was dirt. Trenches were trenches. Um, but then I thought, I don't really know if this will ever go anywhere. If anybody wants to read sort of like a, I, there is another guy that does that. Was it, um, he did like the hot gates or whatever, uh, writes about like Spartans and writes about all these different things, but he puts like a, a fiction element, historical fiction, I guess. Right. Okay. So I was kind of doing that, but like very fictional. And then I thought just like I always do, maybe this won't sell. So that's why I started thinking about, um, sci-fi. But after listening to you talk, uh, I realized that it's not so much a, 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 a military sci-fi, it's more like a dystopian cyberpunk. So because 
all I did was I took where I'm living now, Calgary, and I was like, well, how am I going to write this out? I don't know. There's a mountain range to my to my west. <laughs> so, and then I thought in Korea they had a north and south line. Well, let's let's make that the Canadian military border. Is all in my own head, you know. And I thought, well, why would we establish this? I don't know. We'd drop a string of nukes across there because that's what they were going to do in Korea. And, right. uh, and then I just, I just ran with it. But for me, the world was kind of just secondary to the, the story itself, you know? But cyberpunk is very, very popular. It is... It always leads uh, inevitably to a, a post-dystopian construct um, all by itself. The culture that defines steampunk, cyberpunk, that entire genre, uh, to me, it, it has a visual appeal to it, but I haven't gone enough into the stories to see what that works out to be in a book. Are, are you not obligated to create that subculture, the, the sort of cultural detail um, in, in, a, in a traditional fantasy story? That's world building, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And, it, and so... Well, yes, yeah. St steampunk's world building, though, from the books that I've read in that particular genre, has to do more with the equipment they use. Um, it's yeah. fantastical. It's Victorian. Most of the worlds tend to be uh, almost like 1910 or, or 1890 to 1910, except it has a slant. They have incredible steam-powered typewriters and, you know, mm -hmm. solar-powered uh, horse-drawn carriages that no longer have horses, or the horses are mechanical. Steampunk really focuses from a world perspective. The world itself becomes a character, but it's more the, the equipment in it than the actual landscape, but it's still part of the world build. Yeah, so with the with the cyberpunk, the cyberpunk kind of happens inside like a mega city sort of Judge Dredd, uh, Blade Runner sort of feeling to it, right? But there's also an outworld, like same as Blade Runner has, where it's like society was there, but now it's awash in sand and stuff. And so that kind of fit with me because I was working on construction sites that were stripped bare, so I could write... I could write on my brakes while I was breathing through a respirator and it kind of helped me write. So I obligated to do that. Yes, but I didn't really do much of a deep dive because everything I had watched and everything I liked and a lot of the stuff I was experiencing up to that point was it dystopian cyberpunk. Right. And as long as you have that neon trench coat tech and uh, and a very um, uh, big brother type society, along with the wastes, you're kind of there. So the the environment, the world that you create, is it deliberately primary to the story, or for the for some of us, is it simply a vehicle to describe? something that's identifiable around which we can build a story and have characters move through it. It sounds as though the environment itself, and maybe as an adjunct to its history, is the story. That is what you're doing. You're celebrating almost uh, the expression of disaffected in a, in a place where the fantastical is limitless. 
I'm going to need a translator for that. <laughs> no, that's a good I'll one. Tell, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how. For for me, almost everything I write has to slap off of something philosophical. And for me, I I I just don't like the whole um, excessive ruling. And so, this whole 1984 Brave New World kind of ideas, that just for me, when I want to talk about it and express my views on it. I slam it into fiction, and that's and that's good. I mean, that's I. I, I mean, and everybody. Everybody, I guess, is a little different. I mean, I yeah. tend to. My worlds not only are you know their own small story, but they also usually have some morality fabric to it, or some some uh, lesson I want to impart. And I usually use the world more than I use the actual characters for a lot of that, um, which is which is kind of interesting because it makes it part of the backdrop. But if you read it, you kind of get a gist of what's going on. And it sets the tone of the story. It really does. But, I mean, it it's, it's, depends on how crisp you want that world. I mean, if it's a single world and the world is something that you want to put to the side because you're really focusing on the story, I mean, I, the, the world in a, in, a, in a science fiction, at least in mine, is definitely intrinsically part. Which planets are they going to? Which uh, which races are they meeting? What are they collecting when they're there? Are they entering a station? Are they going planet side? What's the gravity? What's the so, atmosphere? You know, you tend to have to do this at least at least from that point of view, without even getting yeah. into politic politics or anything else, just to be able to further the story, because otherwise so, you're you're not touching on a lot of things you could. Yeah. So it sounds to me like for you and Rob and maybe JR, I don't, I don't know, but you really do a deep dive into this because it accentuates the story and you love building it and you're very creative. For me, I'm not so creative. I hit whatever tropes I can hit to make it fit and I write inside those limits as long as it lets me express my idea. And I can understand that, but I mean, one of the ways that I started out doing world building that worked for me because you don't start out with you know, oh, let me just architect this entire world, is I take, you know, a world, whether it be 1950s Japan, 1920s England, 1990s America, and go, this is my world. Now, what do I want to alter a little bit? You know, you write down some basic oh, notes that, that give you the world, and you go, okay, now what do I want to alter? That way, you're starting with something that already exists. It already has a government, it already has a financial set, it already has a map, it already has everything you need to be able to reference and you you're don't making really a, have you're to... making adjustments to an existing construct. You're putting different clothing on it, and it cha it changes just enough to be slightly recognizable, but fresh and new. That's that's effective. Yeah, and it helps make the story deeper. You know, it helps the characters more believable. Yeah. But it's a great way to do it, especially if you're not somebody who likes to do world building. That sounds yeah. like something that that Ray. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Raber's. Uh, his approach to this is a little more ethereal and the nuts and bolts that I, I think that Ray Bay and I enjoy getting into because we're nerdy tech dork weirdos. That's true. Well, you know, it's, it's, um, fortes show up when they do and where they do. It doesn't mean you don't develop them, but some of them are intrinsic and it's natural. That's how your writing style works. He has a, a different, and by that I mean Raber has a need for a structure that allows him to 
get on a, a, a bus and ride it. He is not interested in sitting in the shop figuring out what color it ought to be and should these lugs be locking and all of the shit that, that Ray Bay and I might chew on because we're weirdos. That's yeah. not the vehicle he's looking for. He literally is looking for a vehicle and for a damn good reason. He wants to get to his story. Yeah, yeah. If I, could write, if I could write Old Man in the Sea and write 16 different stories in that boat, I would. And that's okay, but I mean, and that's part of the that's part of the shortcut to world building is get something that already exists and just make a couple augmentations to it yeah. to make it fresh. It's, as just as Rob was saying, and it gives you that world. It gives your characters that rich environment. It doesn't cover the detail you have to cover in a lot of science fiction where you have to build the planet, you know, and then yeah. build the government, and then build the station, and then build the ships they ride. And there's there's so many things you have to cover, especially if you're doing a series. A series makes it more detailed because you're covering multiple stories in a single world. So you're forced to write this down. You're forced to create this world ahead of time because that's the stage for all of these stories you're creating for this series. So unlike a single book that's, I'll create a world, I'll write a story in it, and then I'll go away. No, I've got six stories in this world. They better match up. I have so many notes and spreadsheets and word docs and diagrams and whiteboards i i lose track of it if i don't and i write myself into into corners i can't get out of and world building is a be careful here because it is a trap you have mm. to have consistency you have to know when you shifted you're in your story you don't give a shit a reader's going to see this, and so it's really important while you're constructing planets and civilizations and cultures and the you know the forge that that becomes ultimately your story gets pretty damned hot if you didn't do it right. And that's um and honestly, I've had when I had when I had an editor go back between my first two books, Revenant and Jamestown, there was a lot of inconsistencies in the world because I didn't know any better, so I had to go back and rewrite the second book because there were things that I changed that you can't change. Planets, you know, environments on planets because the same planet with two different environments because I was concentrating on the story and not the world. But I went back and learned my lesson and took my notes. Well, uh, so I'm glad you mentioned that because in world building in science fiction, my character is in a specific place for a specific reason, it's not as though he's a tour guide and he's jerking people back and forth and putting them in a bus and saying, here's, here's the alien version of Mount Kilimanjaro. I've got them there for reasons, but it's planetary. He's on a world. And I thought about this. If I plunked you down in the middle of uh, the uh, uh, an Argentine plane with cattle and gauchos cruising around on it and then i took you away and brought you back to earth and stuck you in right on the edge of the ocean in the namib desert you would not think you're around the same world correct that shouldn't but it's why not there are one planet doesn't have a singular uh uniform or contiguous climate there's some may be close but the diversity in a planet is something to think about when you're building your world or in different places on the same <laughs> continent yes. how does that get addressed when you're world building because it's not a mistake to do it you are perfectly accurate applying different climates geography geology geographies whatever you wish to a relatively finite world 
there's the freezing people in the north, right? In Game of Thrones, there's people in Dorne who hang out under palm trees. That's a finite world, but there are adjustments. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about the world I've built is because the continent is relatively long, and so it has multiple climates areas because it hits different parts of the equator. So you go from the cold at the edge of, you know, the ice barrens, and then you go down to a more, you know, moderate climate, and then you go down into a temperate climate, and then you have the desert. Oh, yeah, that's part of... the desert, and then the the jungle. I can't remember right off the top of my head at the moment. Well, one of the biggest uh, traps people fall into is, you know, in book one, they describe the desert as, you know... uh, uh, white sand with the red streaks from the from the exposed you know iron rust and then the next book they come back and say well it's it's white salt you know with uh with gray hue coming from the tin and it's like okay well that's the same desert two different descriptions because you forget to write it down or your continuity's not there you always need continuity between a story because a reader will catch that they always do yes they do and they will savage you and so they should pay attention to your your work, right? So, have we beaten this subject to into oblivion? I, or? I, I think we've done pretty well. Anybody have any other comments about world building, except for documentation, uh, documentation, even if it's just a little bit? I just want to mention one cool world and one that I got into. Has everybody ever read the Ice Schooner? I have not read the Ice Schooner. Is it good? I no. loved it. What? But do you mean you haven't wow. read it or you didn't Differing like it? Differing opinions. I love this. Go. And ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Did you read it, Jared? I haven't read it. Oh, okay. Okay. Anyways, it's just that it's 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 a, a world that could be now because it's Arctic, but the Arctic is the whole planet. So there's, nothing, cra- oh. there, there's nothing really like tweaked there's nothing that really has to be super imagined it's just a bigger expanse of what is already existing at, at on some place on this planet and uh i just it, it sucked me in because i could really see what was being said because i mean i've obviously seen it before but the thought of it being bigger and crazier was pretty cool is this an? Is this just so I'm clear? Is this a great big mother of all ice boats that's cruising along on runners and? Yes. So that is now. This takes me back to my ill-spent youth. I remember seeing an artwork. Yes. I think it was a poster done by the same artist that that was commissioned to do the covers of Yes albums, and he had I... built this, or he had, he had painted this spectacular huge insane ice boat that was roughly the size of a cruise liner today and it was ripping along on some frozen world across a frozen ocean sails and very ornate and lots and lots of the kind of stuff that really evokes in my mind what what raid is going into in his cyberpunk world and i thought what a what a cool idea a frozen planet Never mind the fact that you've got some difficulties surviving on a planet that is frozen, but still, right. it is it that is that to me is really cool world building, and so I I want to I want to see that I want to look at that. Well, here's another cool thing to perk your interest because 
Remember I told you there's this guy on Twitter that suggests books? Well, this was another one he suggested to me besides Anthem. And so I picked up Ice Schooner and I read that. And But this one here is like now the environment in Ice Schooner being this whole planet of ice, basically, also contributes to the religious system that they got going because there's the Ice Mother, which they worship. But anyway... Okay, that's not that creepy at all. World, that's world building to me. That is world building. That's perfect. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, cool. I mean, Definitely. everybody has to do some world building when they write a book. They have to, you know, because you delve into something that is not already existing most of the time when you're writing a book, even if it's a house. You know, it, it's some part of the world the characters go into that require you to keep track of it. Thank you for joining us at Author in Chains. This is Ray Bailey with J.R. Ryu, Rob Davies, and Ray Burton. Until next time. Keep up to date with the latest news, opinions, tutorials, and more. Simply visit www.authorsandchains.com. Sign up for our mailing list to be one of the first to see any new information we post. Also, check out our Facebook page by searching Authors in Chains from the Facebook search bar. Last, but definitely not least, don't forget to check Twitter under hashtag Authors in Chains. If you have a topic you want to see discussed, or are interested in being on the show, or recommending someone who you think we should get on the show, contact us directly, either by going to the contact page on the website, or simply email shout at authorsandchains.com. We'll see you next week.